unhedgedly blessed last year as the churches in Skipton, the church in Skipton followed a sermon series, 10-week sermon series, and then this year we're following a seven-week sermon series. And I was really privileged just earlier this week to be at a, a national gathering of unity leaders and to share a little bit of the vision of what we've been up to as the church in Skipton, sharing this knowledge of Jesus. And this question, this hashtag, do you know him, I still believe is as potent now as it was last year, certainly in my own life, hopefully in yours as well. It has that dual identity of challenging people to say, do you know Jesus at all? You guys are amazing, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Do you know Jesus at all? But that's the evangelistic side. But actually, a discipleship question is, how well are you knowing Jesus right now? How well are you pursuing the knowledge of Jesus in your life? You may have been a Christian 20 minutes or 20 years. It doesn't matter. Are you pursuing the knowledge of Jesus? Do you know him? Let's not get sidetracked by an overfamiliarity with this question, but let it challenge our very souls with the Holy Spirit. And so this year, as we look into do you know him, we want to ask Jesus, who are you? And so Jesus tells us in seven phrases in uh, John's gospel, the I am sayings, about who he is, pictures, models, uh, phrases to grasp something of who he is and what he's doing. And that's what we've been looking at the past couple of weeks, and we'll be continuing it over the next few more. And the question is, that I don't want us to escape from, is do you know him? It's a present active verb. Do you know him? And as we look at these different aspects of the I am's, do you know Jesus as these different aspects of his character? Today, we're looking, we're going to be spending two weeks, in fact, this week and next week, in John chapter 10, where we look at, because it's been blessed, it's got two, it's really lucky, it's got two I am's in one chapter. The first one we're looking at particularly today is the I am the gate. Next week, it's I am the good shepherd, and I have been warned on pain of death. Not to say too much about that because Lisa will be angry with me. Let's not tell her, hey. Okay, is that our little secret? Yeah, okay, great, we'll move on then. Because it's really important because the I am the gate and I am the shepherd are really intrinsically linked. And that's why they're together. Sorry? Keep quiet. Uh, (laughs) In the Lord. They're really, really linked, and uh, I'm not going to creep too much into it, but it's important that we have an understanding of both. That's tricky because John chapter 10 does not exist on its own. It actually, it is part of, um, well, this passage we're going to look at in particular, John 7 to 10. It exists within this chapter, but this chapter doesn't stand alone. It is actually a continuation of the events of chapter 9. Um, so there's no, in the original written Gospels, there were no chapter headings, no numbers, no verse numbers. So this follows on straight from chapter 9. And we need to know the events of what happened in chapter 9 to understand a little bit about what Jesus is on about in this chapter. So we have Jesus mixing metaphors. We've talked about him in verses 1 to 6 about shepherds, and then he's talking about gates. Then he's talking about shepherds again. What's he on about? Well, In chapter 9, we have this event where a blind man who's been born blind, he's never seen anything. He's been begging his whole life. And Jesus heals him by making this kind of muddy poultice to put on his eyes and tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes and washes and he's cleansed. He can see again. This guy doesn't even know who it is that's done this. But he's gone, he can, he can see again. And so he's brought into the Pharisees' council. They want to find out what's going on with this guy. Because it's, okay, it's all right, you've been healed. 
but it was on a Sabbath. And we're not happy about that. So, yeah, you were blind. You can now see, but let's park that a little bit. When did it happen? Happened the Sabbath. We're not happy. So tell us what happens. So this guy tells him the full story. They're not happy with that. And so they invite his parents in because they're not happy with this story. And they say, tell us what happened. And they're a little bit lippy with the Pharisees. They say, he's old enough. Ask him yourself. And so they turn to the guy again and say, tell us what happened. And then he's getting a little bit lippy with the Pharisees. And he says, I've told you already. What? Do you want to become followers of Jesus? They don't like this, this attitude. And so they kick him out. And we read that he's been kicked out of the room. He's been kicked out of the synagogue. He's been kicked out of the community of God by these Pharisees who say who's in and who's out purely because he's been healed on the Sabbath by a guy who he's saying we should be listening to, we should be following something about this guy. So he's been kicked out of this fellowship, one that he's not been part of really as a blind man. He's been reintroduced and kicked out in the space of a breath. And then he meets Jesus again. And as Jesus is talking to him, Jesus says, I've come to challenge the world so that those who are blind will be able to see and those who see will be blind. And these Pharisees are going, what? You're telling us that we're blind too? And then Jesus says, truthfully, and then he goes on to talk about sheep and shepherds. Why? What's this all about? Well, Lisa is definitely going to be looking at, because she's told me, a passage in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34, which talks about um, God's indictment of the shepherds of Israel not doing their job. And we'll be exploring that more next week. But essentially, these Pharisees were not doing their job as shepherds of Israel. They were deciding who was in and who was out. And they were saying, this guy is absolutely out because he's following this person, Jesus. This guy had been healed, restored. He'd been restored to community and then kicked out again. And so Jesus is challenging in those first few verses of verses 1 to 6 about good and bad shepherds. Challenging them, you guys have not been good shepherds. But this guy has recognized me. So we need to understand a little bit about what's going on in Middle Eastern sheep farming, which I know all of you are very thoroughly acquainted with, aren't you? No, okay, that's good. Well, let me tell you, this is what kind of happened. So the, the, the flocks would have been much smaller than maybe we're used to in the deals. And um, one shepherd would be looking after a small flock that he would know really well. He would know them by name. That's what's drawn out of this passage. He would know them by name, maybe even nicknames. And, and a bit like Jesus who gave nicknames to his disciples. We overpious it. You know, Simon, you shall become rock. I think he was called Rocky. The reason because Rocky could be really solid or a little bit wobbly. That sums up Peter, doesn't it? Simon Peter, a bit solid, but he could be a bit wobbly. And then there's James and John. You guys are like sons of thunder. So they've got nicknames. That's the intimacy with which the shepherd knows the sheep. And so the shepherd will come and all the community would put their flocks into the community sheep pen overnight. And there would be a watchman who would guard it overnight. Next morning, the shepherds would come along and a shepherd would come up to the watchman and start calling his sheep's sheep by name. And they would come, not sheep, I got my grammar wrong there. Sheep by name. And they would come and follow him. And what Jesus is kind of saying, you guys didn't recognize my voice, but a blind man did. You've not been good shepherds. We'll explore that a little bit more, but that's the context of what's been going on in those first few verses. Jesus uses these really familiar images that they would have been very familiar with. Shepherd, sheep, gatekeeper, sheep pen, and the gate. And at the end of that first little one to six verses, 
it's great. Jesus done, does this bit of teaching and the Pharisees go, I don't get it. Where are you getting that? I don't understand. So Jesus tries a different tack and he takes another pastoral scene. And if, uh, if people used to put their sheep together in a community sheep pen, if they were out in the sticks and it was a shepherd with his small flock and it was becoming nighttime, what he would do would be to create a sheep pen. And I really must catch up on my PowerPoint. I did this at the first one as well. They'd create a kind of impromptu sheep pen made of sticks and stones, made of rocks and thorns, and make this encircular enclosure. And there would be one gap in the enclosure, one doorway, one gateway. And they would make this. But there's no gate, is there? Well, actually, what happened out on the sticks is that the shepherd would lie between the two parts of the entrance. The shepherd would be the gate. The shepherd would be the gate. We get pictures of Jesus the gate and think of a few bits of wood nailed together and a squeaky gate kind of thing. But Jesus says, I am the shepherd gate. I will sit between and those two gaps. That gap, sorry. He sits in the gap. He is the way through. So Jesus is not mixing his metaphors here just carelessly like you know, someone writing their GCSE English paper or something. He's saying that I am the shepherd and the gate. Verses 1 to 6, he's pointing out the good and the bad sheep, shepherds uh, that are looking after the sheep. They don't get it. And later on in verse 11 and 21, he's actually explicit about being the good shepherd. But here he says, I am the shepherd gate. So what does that actually mean? The shepherd sitting in the gate. Well, let's look particularly at this verse 9, which is kind of the key to this passage. It says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It's actually, there's a couple of different translations of that. It's either will be saved or will be kept safe. But let's think about this one. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And what's really interesting is that this says, I am the gate. I am not a gate. I'm not an option. I am the gate for entry into the sheep pen. The sheep pen was a picture, or the flock was a picture of the people of God. So Jesus is saying, I am the way into the people of God. We learned that a couple of weeks ago. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is incredibly exclusive in that way. As a, as in regards to, to access to the king, access to God. He's exclusive. It is not popular today to say that. In fact, it's getting to the point where it could be at some point illegal to say such things. And back in the day, it was as controversial back then because Jesus is saying these words, I am Yahweh. I am the gate. I am the only way. And the Pharisees are standing around going, what are you on about? That's, that's blasphemy. You deserve to die for that. He says, I am the gate. I am the only way. As we said, that's not particularly popular that day, that, that today. But the scriptures are very clear. Jesus is the way to salvation. It is explicit in scripture. But we've got to deal with the questions that come from our, our culture and our society we live in today. What about other ways? What about other means? Often it's seen when someone asks, what about those who die who don't know the Lord? This is what I kind of say. I would say to that, Jesus, according to the scriptures, is the only guaranteed way 
to have experience of him now and into eternity. The only guaranteed way. Anything beyond that is above my pay grade. <laughs> I don't want to judge. That's God's responsibility. So anyone who dies and they haven't made a commitment to the Lord, they are in God's hands. Thank God for that because I'm not equipped to make that kind of call. God is both loving and just. So we leave that decision to him. However, the scriptures are clear. Jesus is clear. He is the way. He is the gate. Now that's become, as I said, slightly unpopular. And I think maybe because of that, we've lost a bit of an evangelical or evangelistic impetus about making sure people know about Jesus as the guaranteed way to God the Father. And one place that they haven't done that, ironically, is a church called The Gate in Reading. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, a guy called Yinka Oyeken. Is that how you say his second? Yinka. He is going to be the president of the Baptist Union um, next year, I think it is. And he, on the top of 20 years of the church praying together and seeking God in unity and, and wanting to see God move, built, built on that 20 years of prayer, they started a, a project called The Turning if you don't know what the turning is, essentially, um, people go out on the streets with this kind of script. And it seems kind of um, old-fashioned, but literally they go up, and this is a paraphrase, they would have conversations with people, and they would essentially say, if you were hit by a bus and you died, where would you spend eternity? And everyone's going, we did that in the 80s. Surely that's, that's old stuff now. But they're going out and doing that, and they have seen hundreds of people commit their lives to Jesus. Hundreds across this nation in Reading, in Glasgow, around the center of England. It's spread into Europe. This boldness to go out and say, Jesus is the way. Do you want to know the way? And people are so hungry and desperate, they're taking it. Because Jesus is the gate to be saved. As I said, it's not just, um, it's not just about being the salvation, but every person, every individual, every philosophy, every religion has to deal with Jesus. If you think about Jesus being in the gate, you have to deal with him. You can't just brush him aside as like some kind of good teacher. We can't brush him aside and say, oh, he just taught everyone to be nice to each other. I don't see that in the Gospels. Every philosophy, ideology, religion, and person need to deal with Jesus. And as C.S. Lewis says, he was not some kind of just moral teacher. He did not leave that option open to us. Everyone's got to deal with Jesus at some point in order to deal with the big questions of life. And what Jesus says about himself, what he did, and his death, his resurrection, we've got to deal with that in the context of big eternal questions. Do you know him? He is the way, the gateway to salvation. But it also says it's the way to be kept safe. Safe not because of the walls. If, you, if, you, if you've seen some of these um, kind of makeshift things, they're, in Africa they're called bomas. And I've seen them in Africa. And they're just sticks and stones put together into an enclosure. And if you were a particularly agile leopard, you could jump over it very easily. These walls are not what protects. It's not what keeps safe. What keeps safe is proximity to the shepherd, the shepherd in the gate. And it's the same when they leave the enclosure and they're out there. It's proximity to the shepherd that keeps the flock safe. But also the sheep being together. See, the people of God is not a building. Church is not a building. 
Skipton Baptist Church is not this edifice here. It is you. The church in Skipton is not made up of a whole series of buildings. It's made up of a series of people. The people of God are the church. And the people of God need to be a place of safety. A place of safety and security. And sadly, over many, many years, the church has failed at this. We see it in one extreme with kind of abuse cases where the place of safety and sanctuary that the people of God should have been have ended up being places of sadness, abuse, and torment. But that's just one extreme. The other extreme is how often have we tore someone else down in the church? How often have we damaged someone within the church? Maybe for the sake of, you know, unity, or to put them in their place, or to make sure that they're not following a sinful path. I don't know what the excuse is, but how often have we made this place not safe? The enclosure of the people of God needs to be a safe space because Jesus is the gate that provides the safety to all of us. So the safety, and there's also security. (laughs) The thing is, sheep are a little bit thick, (laughs) okay? They're not known for their intelligence. They, in fact, they're very, you know, they're very keen on grass. And so they just keep their heads down. They munch away, munch away, munch away, and then they end up in awful difficult situations. I'm sure you've been in the deals and you've come across a sheep who's somehow got their head stuck in a wire fence, which you've no idea how the laws of physics have bent in order for his head to get inside that hole. But somehow he does it and his foot is caught over here and he's twisted around that way. And you think, top gymnasts couldn't do that. How have you done it? It's because essentially sheep are a bit thick and they tend to go astray. They tend to wander off. They have no homing instinct. And so they wander off. They have no idea where to go. And hence why Isaiah says, we, all like sheep, have gone astray. Because we're very easy to go off on our own. Because if we think of Jesus as the gate, the gate's a bit pointless if you haven't got the actual surrounding wall. It's, it's kind of one of those things where the gate stands there and you kind of go, do you go through it or do you walk around it? It needs to have the walls. So if Jesus is the gate, then the walls are his word and his teachings. And his word and his teachings are not there to restrict us, but they're there to protect us, to keep us from wandering off, to wandering off and getting ourselves into trouble. Jesus is the gate, his word is the walls. Not to restrict, but to protect us. And what are they protecting us from? protecting us from the conditions. We, um, a, a little while ago, we branched out and we bought an event shelter for the stuff that we do out on the streets and also for going to the gathering. We've actually ended up buying another one because they're so useful. Um, so last week at the gathering, it was a beautifully blisteringly hot sunny day. I think, you know, summer had arrived. It was brilliant. As you can tell, I'm Northern Irish, a true Celt. Me and the sun don't mix very well. <laughs> And so I find real shelter underneath this event shelter, underneath the shade. There's a song by U2, and uh, it's, I've completely forgotten, well, it's called Wild Honey. A lot of people don't like it, but there's this phrase in it. And it says, from the cruel sun, you were my shelter and my shade. It's almost like Bono has taken some lyrics from the Psalms and just put it into this song. He is our shelter and our shade from the conditions. So I've also been under the shelter whenever it's been pouring down with rain, and you're underneath it. It's not just for shade, but it's also for shelter. You feel safe and secure. And there's a word I want to introduce you to if you haven't known it yet, and it's um, 
a word called chrysalism. Does anyone know, have ever, ever heard of chrysalism? Someone has. Who put your hand up if you heard of chrysalism? Brilliant. Well done you. But the only person. Chrysalism, it's kind of not really an official word, but it's brilliant. You will have experienced chrysalism. I promise you, you will have done. Chrysalism is this. The tranquility and peace experienced being inside when there's a storm outside. You know that feeling when it's cold and it's wet and you're inside and you're snug and you're warm and you're cozy and you're safe and you have a little shiver. And it's not a shiver of real coldness, it's a shiver of comfort, of security, of safety. And so you're inside and you can almost, almost enjoy as well as endure the storm because you're inside. You're under the shelter, you're under the shade and you experience tranquility and peace of being sheltered and shaded. Do you know what that feeling is like? When you just know you feel secure and safe while the storm is raging outside. That's called chrysalism. It's not an official word yet, but it will be. Um, and that captures the feeling of that security. In 2016, they came out with uh, words of the year. All the dictionary people are very smart, and they come up with the words of the year. And in 2016, in the number one spot, the word of the year was Brexit. What does Brexit bring? It brings, it has brought uncertainty, division, insecurity, fear, worry, anxiety, a lot of stress, hasn't it? That one word, Brexit, that was number one word. The second word, most popular and used word of the year, was a word called hugga. Hugga is a Danish word which can be capsulated by snug, coziness. Warm log fires, blankets, reading a book on a really stormy day outside, but inside you're nice and snug and warm. It's the Danish word for chrysalism. How interesting that the first word of the year of 2016 and probably forwards onwards is Brexit, which has brought division and worry, anxiety and stress. And the second word shows what people are desperate for, which is hugga, which is chrysalism, which is we want to feel safe and secure. Do you feel safe and secure with our world and our society at the moment? Because I'm not sure I do. I think I'm sensing a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety. But yet, where do we find our safety, our shelter, our security, and our shade? Maybe it's in our money. That's what a lot of people want to find. If we have more money, that'll be great. But what happens if the money stops? Well, we still have a lifestyle, so we need to end up in debt to fund the lifestyle that we're used to. Or everything goes out the window as long as we are getting that little bit more money. Maybe it's science we put our faith in and looking for security. That's okay until we develop something called the nuclear bomb. Or that they haven't developed the drug that we need to cure the illness that I've got. Science maybe isn't something to rely on. Maybe it's our job, which is great. It gives us identification, who we are, what we do, fills our days, gives us money. But what happens when that job is removed? We are lost. Maybe it's the validation of others, the affirmation of another person, but then you put a post on social media and only two people like it and your world collapses because not enough friends have said, yes, we like your picture of your dinner. <laughs> or maybe we're looking for our safety, security in the church. Seems like a good one, doesn't it? 
Actually, even that can let us down. Because every single one of you will let each other down. I want you to do me a favor. Can you turn to the person next to you, look him in the eye, and say, I will let you down. Thank you. Now, I would like you to turn around to the same person and say these words, you will let me down. Thank you very much. It's one of the things that Lisa and I have often put into our welcome spiel when we meet someone who comes to church. Oh, you really like the church? Great. Let us tell you something. We will let you down because we are normal. We are, do you know, in fact, do you know the reason you're going to let each other down? Because you're sheep. Because we're sheep. We go astray. We make mistakes. We upset and are upset. And the thing is, too often people put their faith in the establishment of the church and are let down when people let them down. Someone put a phrase, uh, this quote, that's saying, if you, um, if, you get upset, if you leave the church because someone has upset you or offended you or has let you down, you did not have faith in Jesus, you had faith in people. I will guarantee this church, if you really love it, that's brilliant, but it will let you down at some point because the sheep pen is not what gives you protection. It is the shepherd that gives you protection. Maybe it's busyness. Keep myself busy, but then we have burnout. Maybe it's achievement, but then we don't get that promotion or we don't get those grades. Maybe it's substances. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's adrenaline that you put your security and safety, shelter and shade in. We've heard some amazing stories of how people have been so honest in this fellowship about their struggles, how they used alcohol or drugs as their shelter and their shade, and they can say categorically they do not work. But yet it's what people use as our shelter and our shade. Maybe it's sex and relationships, but then breakups happen and lots of other things around that. Maybe it's family, but then families can often break up, have upsets or split up. Maybe it's spirituality or religion. But as we've gathered, all other roads, if they do not have Jesus, are ultimately unfulfilling eternally. And definitely, people put their hope in politics and how has that fared for us over the past little while. He is our shelter and our shade, our rock in the storm as we've been listening to and singing. But it's not just conditions that we need protecting from. We also have predators out there. That's what the shepherd looks out for. That's what the gate is there for. Because a lion doesn't come and knock on the door and say, excuse me, can I come and eat some sheep, please? They come in and creep in from the outside. Jesus was talking particularly um, about the Pharisees and the religious leaders there with their selfish motives who were coming to try and, and literally fleece the sheep, the flock, get what they wanted out of them and then cast them aside like this guy who was born blind. But there's a really interesting thing that Jesus says here. For a number of verses, he talks about the thieves and the robbers. And then in chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief. We have an enemy. This is a spiritual reality. We have an enemy that is out there. A few years ago, we were in Tanzania, myself, Phil Nixon, Jacob and Reuben, and we were on a safari and we were on this, uh, this safari jeep, and we pulled up beside a big uh, lagoon where there was lots of hippo, and it was brilliant. We took loads of photographs. Look at that hippo, how wide its mouth is. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And then the driver goes, I, I need to nip out for a wee. 
So he has a look around. It's all safe. He pops out for a wee. We thought, that's a bit risky, isn't it? Until we noticed that Jacob and Reuben had also popped out for a wee in response to him getting off. So we want to get them back in, get them back in. And we thought, oh, it's okay. All the hippos are over there. It's entirely safe, not a problem. So we went back to our hotel and we were looking through our photographs. Oh, look at that bird. Look at that eagle. Look at that hippo. Look at all those hippos there. And look, that was the pool where you guys nipped out for a wee. And there, the beautiful picture of the lagoon and the hippos. And there is a lioness in the grass. Because we have an enemy that prowls around, often unseen, sneaking, creeping over the walls in order to devour. In order to devour. It says the enemy, the thief, comes to do three things. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. All these other things that we can put our faith into, put our our security and, and safety into, ultimately... And I think taken to an extreme, we've got some people who've shared that amazing story about how God has saved them. But these things, money, achievement, substances, ultimately they are out to kill, steal, and destroy. Because that's what the robbers want to do. They come in, they see sheep, and they want to fleece it. They want to damage and destroy and get what they want from it. The shepherd looks at the sheep and sees Bob, Viv, Nicholas, Jenny, Dave, Rocky, sons of thunder over there. He sees the individuals. Thankfully, as well as 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, we have a 1 John 3 verse 8, which says Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. We have a shepherd who is the gate, who is our shelter and our shade, our protection. And we have throughout the entirety of the Psalms about running into the arms of the one who will protect us. Do the old, do the standard ways of this world, this society lead you to a place of security, of safety? I don't think so. Instead, what is Jesus? Jesus is the gate to what? He's the gate to life. And what sort of life? Life in abundance. Oh, come on. I have had that in my pocket for years. I finally got to use it. Life in abundance. (laughs) If anyone's listening to this, they're going, what are they laughing at? There's a picture of dancing buns. Okay, um... If you look online and Google searches and you say life in abundance, you've got pictures of ridiculously good-looking people leaping in a tranquil, beautiful setting going, yay, I'm full of joy. And that's what life in abundance looks like. Nonsense. There is much, much more to what this word means. Because people say, is there more to life than this? Than living and dying, just trying to make it through the day? Yes, there is. What is there? There is life in abundance. Life in fulfillment. And what is that about? This, these have two Greek words. The Greek words are zoe, for life, and perison, which means abundant. But it means so much more than that. It means life beyond what you can imagine. Beyond the here and now. It's more than More than what? It just is more than what you're experiencing at the moment. It is life beyond the here and now, the everyday grind. Jesus has come to give us this life. 
Life beyond limits. That doesn't mean a fuller diary, more things to do. I can't take any more on. It's life he's pouring onto you and out of you. Is there more to life than this? Yes, there is abundantly more. Within his sheep pen, beyond the gate, the gateway to this life, it's Jesus' desire for us to have a life which is full. Not a full life as in we're just too busy for anything, but a life in its richness, in relationship with Father, unimpeded by sin, by guilt, hurt or shame, removing of idols, of evils, of wealth or of wants. It is not an easy life. It's neither an affluent life. It's more than just uh, the technicalities of life. It's the highs, the lows, the laughter, the tears, the deaths, the births, the sickness, the fitness, the suffering, successes, the fullness of life based within an intimate proximity to the author of life himself. Does that sound more attractive than the life that we get presented, which is being born, getting educated, trained, working, living, dying, huh? More life through the gate. Life beyond the here and now. Eternal life starts now with a relationship with Jesus. That's why it's guaranteed. You have a relationship with Jesus now. It goes on beyond death because death cannot affect it. That's why Jesus is the gateway to eternal life, which starts here and now. It cannot be disrupted by death. Romans 8, 38 tells us that. It goes on to eternity and beyond, which is a misquote from Buzz Lightyear. That is what is on offer here. The robbers and the thieves come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life. How do we access that life? Through the gate. Through the gate of life. Into the sheep pen. The sheep pen of the shepherd king. My question is this. Are you experiencing life? Are you existing? More than living and dying, are you experiencing this life, this Zoe Parison, this abundant life that God is offering, which is much more than what money you've got in the bank? Are you knowing this life? Have you entered into this life with Jesus? Do you know him as your safety, as your security, as your salvation? Do you know him as your shelter and your shade? Do you know him in all of life that he is the gateway to? That's the question. We're going to worship again together. If you want to come up. (laughs) No, they're not sure. We're going to worship together, and, this, and the, the prayer team's going to come up as well. And uh, while we were getting set up earlier, I kind of felt a little bit prompted of spoken to Rachel, so the prayer team speak to her. Um, I had